This afternoon I preach you the gospel of the Eighth Commandment, which is, you shall not steal. Concerning this commandment, the church makes her confession in Lord's Day 42, which is found in the Heidelberg Catechism on page 557 in the Book of Praise. Here the church confesses, what does God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? God forbids not only outright theft and robbery, but also such wicked schemes and devices as false weights and measures, deceptive merchandising, counterfeit money, and usury. We must not defraud our neighbor in any way, whether by force or by show of right. In addition, God forbids all greed and all abuse or squandering of his gifts. What does God require of you in this commandment? I must promote my neighbor's good wherever I can and may, deal with him as I would like others to deal with me, and work faithfully so that I may be able to give to those in need. Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it's striking to understand that God created people with needs. Even in the perfection of paradise, Adam and Eve needed food and drink, which they had to obtain for themselves by working in the garden in which God had placed them. It was God's plan that the life and body He gave to each person would be maintained and sustained through the cooperation of his children who lived beside one another in mutual dependence. It was a great system of mutual support that was based on love for God and love for our neighbor. But it was ruined when sin entered the world and people began to love themselves more than God. The selfishness that resulted from the fall into sin brought with it the sins of envy and desire for control, and the love of the neighbor grew cold in the hearts of sinful people. In the Sermon on the Mount, our Lord Jesus shows us that the commandment not to steal is the means by which the Holy Spirit uses to restore us to mutual trust and dependence on one another as it was experienced in paradise. Being renewed by the Holy Spirit doesn't take away our human needs for food and clothing, but the Holy Spirit does make us desire to obtain these things in the right way, in the way of the Eighth Commandment, the way explained by our Lord Jesus Christ, which shows the Christian attitude toward material possessions and their place in the bigger picture of God's kingdom. In his teaching, Jesus gives us a promise of a kingdom where all the citizens may enjoy a fullness of life in their physical bodies without the hindrance of sins that take away our joy. God's grace and his work in our hearts today allows us to experience the beginning of this joy and this contentment that enriches the lives of all who trust in the Lord. And I preach you this gospel under the theme, the citizens of God's kingdom serve him with their possessions. The Holy Spirit today leads us 
to deliver God's provision for the needy and to trust in God's provision for your needs, for our needs. When the Lord Jesus explained the depth of the law in the Sermon on the Mount, he addressed Christian citizens of the kingdom of heaven who have been brought up in the praiseworthy practice of providing for the needy. Jesus doesn't say, you notice in Matthew 6, he doesn't say that you need to, he doesn't say that you need to start giving, but he says, when you give to the needy. The Old Testament was very clear that God's people must constantly pay attention to the vulnerable people in society and to ensure that the widow, the orphan, and the foreigner have what they need for their lives. Proverbs 19, verse 17, that we saw as we walked into the building again this afternoon, it was, it was displayed on the wall. It says, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. There's a close relationship between generosity and faith in God. Our relationship to God brings us into the ministry of mercy and into all the work of the deacons, for example, that this, the deacons are leading us into. God pays attention to what we are doing with our material possessions. And he leaves no doubt in our minds that he who sows generously will also reap generously. Protecting and providing for the vulnerable in society is a necessary part of the Christian life. And a failure to give financial and material help to others, other people is, is the same as stealing from others. And you can see that if you look at Ephesians 4, verse 28, you see the contrast. Here the Holy Spirit tells us, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. The opposite of giving is stealing and vice versa. If you don't want to persist in sin against the Eighth Commandment, you will be willing to share. And that applies to everyone of all ages. The children as well know very well that God wants you to share your toys with your brothers, with your sisters, with your friends. When you get candy or treats, do you share? Young people too are called to understand that the money they make from their hard work is not really and truly only their own because God tells us that we work so that we can share. The popular word to describe your relationship to your hard-earned money and possessions is the word steward. You, we all are stewards. That means that nothing you gather in is ever really your own. It always remains God's possessions. You are just a caretaker. You are a servant of God. And if he gives you money, you need to see it as a responsibility. It is something you have to think about. It means you have to think about why did God give me this money? What does God want me to do with his money? You are an administrator of God's gifts. And if you know the Lord, and if you think about His purpose in creation, 
And if you think about his compassion for the vulnerable, his hatred of greed and envy, well, you also know very well that God wants you to use his money and his material possessions that you happen to be holding in your hands. He wants you to use it to fulfill his purposes. And that makes us ask the question again this afternoon, would God be pleased with the way that we are using the toys, the treats, the money, the material possessions that he has allowed us to have in our hands for a while? What would God want you to do with these things? Well, the focus of Jesus' teaching is on how citizens of the kingdom of heaven give to the needy because we see very clearly that's what God is calling us to do with our possessions. He wants us to deliver his gifts to the needy for him. But then Jesus says, now think about how you deliver these provisions to the needy. What's your motives? Well, we show that we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven when we care for the physical well-being of the people around us because, because why? If we do it because we love God, because we love our neighbor. So what goes through your mind when you're passing along the material blessings that God let you have for a while? Do you feel tempted to try and take credit for what God is doing through you? The Lord Jesus had taught us to let our light shine so that others may see our good works and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. That's Matthew 5, verse 16. And now he tells us that when they look at you, the good works they should be seeing are not, they should not be seeing a self-righteous or a showy or a proud person who wants everybody to know that you are giving. He wants you to think about the dignity of the person you are helping so that you don't treat them with contempt and use their difficult circumstance as a way to earn praise for yourself. Basically, it says we confess in the second question and answer of this catechism. He wants you to remember the golden rule. Matthew 7, verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. And Jesus' comments help us to see the subtlety of sin. And he helps us to see the subtlety of sin as it sneaks up in our own proud hearts by helping us to look at the situation from the other side. When the Lord leads you to give to the needy, he wants you to understand that the goal of your giving should never be to receive a reward from other people here on the earth. Because if you receive the reward of praise from other people here on the earth or, or a feeling of self-satisfaction, Jesus says that's all you will get for your efforts. And you will get it instead of the reward from God. The temporary pleasure of human praise that is stolen at the cost of the dignity of people in need is never better than enjoying eternal fellowship with God who sees past your money and past your giving hands to your heart. Jesus' remedy is, is to not let your left hand know 
what your right hand is doing. If we just take this literally, it's an instruction on general discretion in giving. Sometimes even in the church when the collection plate passes, there's different ways of giving. Children usually flash it around before they put it in and we tell them just keep it, keep it down. Don't let your left hand see what your right hand is doing. And, and we could think about that if, if your left hand had eyes but yet wouldn't be able to see how many dollar bills you are slipping into the collection plate, your neighbor also won't see it. If your neighbor can't see what you are giving, well then you can't give like the Pharisees did so that they may be praised by others. But at the same time, it appears that the Lord is talking about the temptation we have to be overly focused on our own giving. He says in a sense, don't even let yourself Think too much about your giving. When the Holy Spirit is in our hearts, He guides us to think about hiding our given, giving even from ourselves. Don't even give yourself the opportunity of thinking you're, you're so great because of what you're doing. Don't even allow your, yourself to start identifying yourself as, as a generous person that you want everybody to know about. Give without the desire to be known as a generous person. Give because you love the Lord and love your neighbor. Give with the attitude of a steward. When you give, let it be just a matter of course. Just like the person at the school barbecue this week will be handing out hamburgers that they didn't buy or or even prepare. If your left hand is involved in your giving, in any way, let it be the hand that's pointing up and saying, it's the Lord who gave me this desire to love you. Since God can see what you are doing, even when you do it in secret, you don't have to worry when no one else in the world knows what you have done. When you give, give as stewards of God's gifts. Give as if you were the hands of your Father in heaven. Give without thought to your own role in the work. And also give without being anxious about your own life or body. Trust in God's provision for your needs. We get to Matthew 6, verses 25 to 34. And you can notice that it comes in the context of where our Lord Jesus just taught people they should not lay up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. That would be a word to the wealthy. Now in our text, Jesus tells people not to be anxious about what they will eat, what they will drink, or what they will wear. This is a word to those who are having trouble making ends meet, who are living from paycheck to paycheck. And I think that even if we aren't experiencing this at the moment, we have all experienced something of this in our lives at some time. The Holy Spirit in our hearts makes us want to give, but we often face challenges when it comes time to transfer our money to other people. We sit there in front of our computer or our checkbook, and all of a sudden we realize it might be difficult to make ends meet. We're worried that if we fulfill our task to give to others, we won't have what we need or maybe we won't be able to enjoy a vacation. Both instructions of our Lord, both not laying up treasures in heaven and also not being anxious 
are instructions that urge us not to be obsessed or oppressed by the things that are seen, that belong to this world alone. You see, that's where the devil wants you to look. That's why Jesus said it's between God and mammon, God and money. And you can see that the devil wants you to, to overfocus on clothes and food and vacations and comforts just by talking to people, talking to neighbors, talking to, to people around you. What is the, the main topic of conversation? So often it is about these things. The devil knows that anxiety is a very powerful tool. Worry can take on a life of its own. Sometimes we don't even want it, want to have anything to do with it, but, but there it is in our lives. You try to comfort somebody about who is worrying and about maintaining the comfort in their lives, and they hear your words, and, and they might be comforted for the day, but worry like its own little beast. It keeps on making you think, well, what about, what about tomorrow? What, what if this happens? Or what if that happens? It's hard to be generous when you are worrying about tomorrow, about what you will eat or what you will drink or what you will wear. It's hard to stand out from the Gentiles who are running after these things. Citizens of the kingdom of heaven are not immune to anxiety about material things. We can be those of little faith, too, that our Lord Jesus speaks about. And it happens that we might believe that Jesus is our Lord and Savior, but we don't believe what He says, what He teaches us even in the Sermon on the Mount. And so we pray constantly that God might open our eyes to see and our minds to consider the truth that God has revealed to us all around us in creation as well as how our Lord Jesus explained this to us in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, if you look at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, Jesus reasons with us. In the passage we read, Matthew 6, verse 25 to 34, he repeats the word, Therefore, do not be anxious. Three times he says that, so that we might not miss out on what it looks like in our lives practically when we trust in the Lord completely. He repeats it three times. Do not be anxious. And the word he used for anxious describes a person who is looking at more than one thing at a time. A person who is unfocused. A person who is distracted by, by many things. We sometimes see so many things in the present and possibly in, in the future that, that we lose sight of the big picture and ultimately we are seeing nothing at all. It's like those nights when we can't sleep because our minds are so busy. But then when we step back and, and look at what we were all thinking about that night, we realize it was only one or two things that we kept repeating one person or one project that just goes around and around and around in our minds. Although our minds were busy, ultimately, we were not thinking at all. Busy parents know what I am talking about. So do high school and university students, business owners, anyone who's 
busy in this world with the task and calling that we have. It doesn't take long and pretty soon our, our lives are governed by our circumstances. Life masters us instead of us mastering us. And we see that when setbacks come or breakdowns or unresolved situations, they, they begin to feel like enemies to us. And we stop rejoicing in them as opportunities given to us by God in our calling and responsibility. And this is the kind of thing that Jesus tells us not to do. And he gives us reasons. Reasons that we have to believe. For he promises that if we think like he does, it will be possible to obey his command. Repeated three times, do not be anxious. He gives the first reason in a question form at the end of verse 25 of Matthew chapter 6. He asks, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Do you see what Jesus is doing here? He is making you start your reasoning from the beginning. Think about your life before you think about your food and drink. Think about your body before you think about your clothing. Who gave you your life? Who gave you your body? Is it not God himself? Can you not see that if God wanted you to have life, and if God gave you a body, that it's also his responsibility to make sure that you will get what you need to sustain it? When you pray, give us this day our daily bread. You are asking for, for everything necessary for body and soul that God has promised to give to you that Jesus Christ has already obtained for you. Jesus even concludes in Matthew 6, verse 32, he says, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, that you need them all. Anxiety over these things is not a sign of trusting in your heavenly Father. Sadly, it cannot even add a single hour to your span of life. Your life is in God's hand. Your body is in God's hands. And whether or not you worry, it remains in God's hands. Anxious people cannot manage to add any more days to the time that God has allotted to them than people who trust in God without any anxiety. And if you start your day thanking the Lord for giving you your life, giving you your body, giving you your mission, your mandate, your responsibility, your calling for the day. And then even giving you His Son. You can be sure that He will give us all things in addition to this. Romans 8, verse 32. Do you understand now why Jesus tells us not to be anxious three times? In His grace, the Lord gives us things that we can look at and things that we should spend time considering. He tells us to see and to think. Look at the birds of the air. See how your father, your, your, your father gave them life and purpose first, and then he went to great lengths to ensure they are fed. 
Now if you look closely, it's very interesting to see, it's in verse 26, that our Lord Jesus says, your heavenly Father feeds them. And not their Father feeds them. The the birds were made for God's children. If your Father sustains the creatures that He made to serve you, how much more will He sustain the more valuable children, His own children? Beside seeing the birds, our Lord tells us to consider the lilies. See and think. Think about the hand of God giving the flowers life and then clothing them in colors and patterns that are more glorious than the clothing of Solomon himself. The lifespan of flowers is short. The lifespan of God's children for whom He made the lilies, that lifespan is eternal. Will we dare to be anxious that God might not be generous when He provides our bodily needs? Jesus says, rather than repeat questions, saying, and you can notice the danger of negative talk, He says that in verse 31, Do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Our Lord commands us to seek other things. Stop talking about tomorrow's needs so that you can see and consider God's gracious provision for all He created to make our lives more pleasant. And seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Notice the contrast. The Gentiles seek after these things and they become anxious because they don't know our Heavenly Father. But the children of God seek the Lord and His righteousness and our Heavenly Father just gives them everything else they need to worship Him. It's like Jesus is saying, if you want to be anxious about anything, be anxious about your relationship to your Heavenly Father because it's only when we have a good relationship with Him that we can also be sure that we'll have everything we need to worship Him. And that's why we're here. That's why we have a life. That's why we have a body. To worship our Heavenly Father. Material things necessary for body and soul and the kingdom of heaven, they're not mutually exclusive. That's why we can serve our Heavenly Father with our temporary possessions without any fear. Our Lord Jesus Christ has already obtained everything we need for all eternity. A child of God who is loved and cared for by His heavenly Father, and who knows this, who can experience this love also through the church and through the communion of saints, that child never needs to turn to theft or robbery or false weights and measures or deceptive merchandising or counterfeit money or usury or or fraud. 
All that list makes us think about when we're in business or when we're trying to sell things or, or make money, how often we're tempted to, to make a little bit more by deceiving others. And our Lord Jesus tells us, when you feel that temptation, look to your Heavenly Father. See what you already have in Him. And so we know, brothers and sisters, that our bank accounts may go empty. Inflation is bad. Gas prices are challenging. We may have to sell all that we have. We may feel hungry. We may never have the chance to have a vacation again. We may need to depend on the mercy and charity of others and the communion of saints. But you can know that if you have life and a body, God wants you to have a life and a body. He is the same God who cares for the birds and the flowers. And you are much more valuable than they. Do not be anxious so that the temporary things of this life cause you to turn your gaze away from your heavenly Father. Then you will also be able to obey the golden rule to do unto others what you would have them do to you. And with your faith placed firmly in Jesus' words, serve as God's hands to provide His provision for the needy and trust in God's provision for your needs. Amen.